This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to an episode of the Clue Jets podcast. We're host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Do another positional breakdown as we get closer to training camp. And Michael, last week we took a look at arguably the best position on the roster in the Jets' defensive line. And this week we're going to be taking a look at arguably the worst position on the Jets' roster, taking a look at the tight ends today. Michael, before we hop into the individual players and overall questions about the unit, is this the weakest position on the team? I think it's definitely a toss-up between tight end and cornerback. I think Bryce Hall puts cornerback over tight end in terms of – I think he has more upside than any player at the tight end position. But the argument against cornerback would be that it's a more important position. It's a harder position to hide than tight end. So that would make it worse in the sense that it's going to hurt the Jets more. Because tight end you can hide. You have control over how much you, you use it. Um, so in that sense, I think cornerback is worse, but I like Bryce Hall quite a bit. So I think he's going to have a good season and that would make tight end the worst position. But um, it, there are some positive things with this tight end group and there is some upside, which we'll definitely talk about. Well, definitely the worst position on offense. I, I agree with you. I think corner is up there, but I, I, there's at least some sort of optimism, I guess I should say, on that side of the ball. I believe in Robert Sala. I like Bryce Hall, like you said. I think there's some young prospects that can play around with. And this tight end unit, it's pretty barren. But like what you said, I mean, in 2015, Chan Gailey and the Jets basically didn't even use a tight end. They had Kellen Davis out there, and he was pretty awful. But you can hide a tight end, and you can't hide corners. So I guess you're probably right that the the corners are still probably the the worst position group in the roster and we'll get to them next week but this week let's focus on the tight ends and let's focus on what makes them bad but I guess they do have something going for them or one thing going for them and that's Chris Herndon's 2018 season and that's pretty much the only thing you could say about this tight end group obviously Tyler Croft is a, a solid run blocker and he comes over from Buffalo and there's some some optimism there as well but I would say that Chris Herndon's 2018 season is the best part about this unit and the biggest hope for this unit is potentially making an impact he was such a letdown last year I mean his 2018 rookie year was great his 2019 season was modeled with suspensions and injuries and then 2020 all we heard about in training camp is how he's just some unicorn and how he's a great player and you know week after week we just didn't see it he was just constantly not out there dropping passes not making an impact Michael, what the hell happened to Chris Herndon in 2020? 
I, I think there are a lot of problems with the team last year. And, and just when you're evaluating football in general, that can be complex and you can point to a lot of different reasons as to why it happened, how it can be fixed with Chris Herndon last year. I don't think there is a lot of complexity to his struggles. I don't think it had to do with his usage, his fit in the offense or anything, or even injuries or anything like that. It was as simple as he wasn't holding on to the football and it kind of came out of nowhere because he wasn't terrible with drops in his rookie season. Yeah, and he made a lot of really, that um, one in the catch, the one hand catch against the Packers. He had a lot of great acrobatic catches. Um, he had a couple of concentration drops, but it wasn't a drastic issue. And the, the great catches made up for it more than made up for it. So it kind of came out of nowhere, but it, it was really simple. He was dropping easy passes. He fumbled the ball a couple of times. Um, I don't think there was a mistake in his usage really. Um, he did pass block quite a bit more than any tight end in the league, but that made sense because he is a good pass blocker. So it's an area where he can be useful and it's not like he passed blocks so much that he wasn't being used in the passing game. He was out there. He was getting his opportunities. Um, he just wasn't delivering when the ball came his way and Darnold kind of lost confidence in him that he was developing in 2018 because they had such a good camaraderie. Uh, because he wasn't catching the ball, so he wasn't getting targeted as frequently, um, which is defensible from a quarterback standpoint um, when a receiver is that unreliable. So uh, I don't think it's that complex of an issue. How he solves it, we'll see if he's capable of doing it. Uh, it's just got to take reps and concentration throughout the entire offseason. I'm sure he's put a lot of work into it, but uh, we'll see what happens. He's obviously got the physical ability as a pass protector. He adds value in that area. We'll see if he can just fix his hands it's as simple as that yeah a little later on this podcast we'll talk about how adam gase used him and how potentially michael floor might use him but you mentioned the confidence drops and or the the, the focus drops and what i was going to say is i think it directly relates to his confidence because yeah in 2018 i think the the memory that most jets fans have are the that that one-handed catch against the packers and some of the great catches he made against the texans i mean he had a great rookie season um, but if you remember at the beginning of that season, kind of like what you were saying, one one ball in particular against Miami week two, he had a brutal drop. I think he had made two brutal drops. or He just had a, a tough start to the rookie season. You have to wonder how much was it confidence related in the beginning of his rookie season. He's brand new to the NFL. And last season is the fact that he just couldn't get over that mental barrier. He was making – I should say he wasn't making plays that he normally would make um, – it was a concerning year for him, but I don't think all hope is lost. I think, and I've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before, I think people are very, very low on Chris Turnson and definitely fair to be low on Chris Turnson. I wouldn't pick him in fantasy, um, but there's, there is upside there. It's, he's still young. He has flashed before, and those two things put together makes him a potential breakout player, especially since he's away from Adam Gase, who seems to have an effect on some players where when he leaves, they tend to shine. And I know you're saying that he didn't do too much to, to Chris Herndon's detriment. There wasn't too much he, he did wrong, I guess, in the way he was using Chris Herndon, but uh, I wouldn't completely write him off yet, but just on paper right now, you really can't count him as much of anything. Hell, he might not even be the starter in this unit because the next guy we're going to talk about May end up taking his starting, his starting spot, and he seemed to have in, in OTAs and minicamp, and that's Tyler Croft, brought over for the Buffalo Bills, was part of a tight end by committee uh, approach there in Buffalo, and he really shined as a blocker. I guess what do you think he brings to this offense, and do you think there's a realistic chance that he's the Jets' starting tight end week one? 
Yeah, I definitely think there is a chance he could start because, like we said, the tight end position is maneuverable. You don't have to rely on it. You can alter your personnel to the strength of your roster. And for this team, it's the wide receiver position. Um, and, and that does contrast with what the LaFleur's 49ers did because they were tight end heavy. They used their fullback a lot and use check. Um, so they were not a heavy – they were not a heavy 11 personnel team. But if the Jets are going to play their strengths this year, I think they are going to be a fairly heavy 11 personnel team. So I think if you're doing that and you're running your passing game through your wide receivers – then you could focus more on the run blocking at tight end. And I think that's where Croft has the biggest advantage over Chris Herndon and this tight end room. So that could make him the most used tight end and the, the primary starter. Um, Cause his run blocking is really good. His grades in that facet have been strong on a yearly basis and you turn on the film and he's a versatile blocker. He can line up at H back. He's good in line. Um, he can pull across the formation. He's powerful. Um, in the trenches against bigger players so he brings a lot in that area uh, and I think in this offense where skill position skill position blocking is valued like I said it could be wide receiver heavy devaluing sort of the passing game aspect of the tight end position that could really give Croft an edge in terms of playing time yeah it's funny the the better team you are there's these niche roles that become way more important and the fact that the Jets have just had a dearth of talent all over the roster there are types of positions that haven't really been talked about, but having a great blocking tight end, I think of Ben Hartsock on like the 2009 jets and what he was able to do for them in the running game. Like you're talking about being able to go to 12 personnel, rely on him to not pick up that many penalties to open up lanes. You can use him many ways. And the, the difference once Ben Hartsock and was off the team um, was tremendous. They do have an impact. And I think, you know, preferably, Tyler Croft would be your tight end two or your tight end three would maybe even be a strictly blocking tight end. He does have, have, I guess, some upside as a receiver. He had that nice little one-handed catch in minicamp the Jets posted, but there's no pads, no defense. You can't really count that for much. Um, but it, he d- does bring a, a, a skill that you can put his name on and say, okay, at least he, I'm confident in him run blocking. And I think that's a great point you just made because the Jets are so receiver heavy and so receiver talented. They are probably going to be an 11 personnel and they still want to be able to run the football. So they're going to choose the best run blocker. And I think, I think you're right. I think there's a very good chance that although Herndon might have more upside, hell, he might even be a better pass blocker. Croft's run blocking might get him the edge week one, but we'll come back to that in a minute. I think the most interesting guy in this unit isn't really even a tight end. And that's Trevon Wesco, who's going to be playing fullback this year for the Jets. He's going to be playing that Kyle Juszczyk role. And obviously he's not Kyle Juszczyk, but he does maybe bring a little bit more in terms of, the size you can, he was a tight end. You can use him as a receiver. Michael, is he a competent fullback? Cause we have seen him in that role a little bit over the last two years. I think he is to this point, a fairly competent fullback, but I do think there is some room for growth for him in that area. And he hasn't played a ton. He, he's obviously been their primary guy in that role, but it's not like he's been playing 10, 20 snaps every single game it sort of fluctuated a lot. So I think with more consistent playing time in that role, if the Jets do want to consistently use a fullback like they did in San Francisco, I think he could develop a little bit if he is able to establish himself in that role a little bit more. But I think an interesting thing for Wesco is his potential as a receiver. It's something the Jets haven't really explored that much in his two years in the league. He's gotten, I think, two targets in the NFL, but, when he was at West Virginia, he was one of the most elusive tight ends 
in the country. He had a lot of power with the ball in his hands. He could run people over in the flat, some subtle elusiveness for a guy his size. And the Jets haven't really explored that, or they didn't with Adam Gase. And I think it, it's it's worth exploring to see what he can do with the few design touches out of that fullback position. The Niners did a lot of a lot of it with Kyle Juszczyk, and I'm not expecting Wesco to be that or anyone because Juszczyk is really ahead of the game for that position. Um, but a few design touches for him, I would be interested to see if he can make plays at a similar rate how he did at West Virginia, because he was a very good playmaker there. But in terms of blocking, I think he's an okay blocker. I'm not going to overrate him too much, but I also don't think he's bad. I think you can put him in at fullback, and at his best, he can create a lot of movement when he really frames guys well. Um, But he is a little bit overzealous, and he will whiff sometimes on a few blocks. So overall, I think he's an okay fullback. He'll be used in that role, Uh, but definitely not to the extent that use check was with the Niners. But I do think there is... Um, so intrigued with his receiving ability that should be explored yeah especially that size I mean look this term gets thrown around all the time in the draft community and it's it's laughable at this point just the way that the west coast career has gone but people are calling him baby gronk which is I mean extremely baby gronk is what I would say Um, but I like the size that he brings at at that fullback position and LaFleur's talked about that he's not use check but you can use him differently if you do want to see him in that fullback role I think that the best game and I don't know if you agree with this, but I think the best game to go back and watch is that Baltimore game in 2019. Yep. I thought he had some really, really good plays um, there. And I think if you're Michael Floor, that's the game you're watching saying, okay, we, we can work with this guy. We can definitely use a fullback. Um, and there was some reports that the Jets were maybe interested in drafting Ben Mason, the fullback from Michigan. So maybe they're not completely sold on West as a fullback, but I think he's definitely competent enough to hold that role this year. And hell, maybe he'll blossom and, and he can be the Jets' long-term fullback. But, um, you know, I think he's good enough to hold down the fort this year. The next guy is a really interesting case. And I think he was even Joe Douglas's first contract handed out, or I guess first extension, I should say. And that's Ryan Griffin, who in 2019 really did step up in Chris Herndon's absence um, and became a, a contributor and a guy who said, okay, look, we want this in our, our tight end room. Maybe he's not our tight end one in the future, but Hey, we can use Herndon and Ryan Griffin at the same time. I mean, these are the conversations we were having last summer in this podcast. I can't wait to go back and look at some of the, the debates and conversations we've been having this summer, a year from now and say, what the hell are we thinking? Because yeah, Herndon and Griffin on the field at the same time was a legitimate topic. Um, and I think Ryan Griffin is an afterthought at this point. I do still think he'll make the roster. Clearly, he wasn't the same after that injury. He even acknowledged so himself. But, Michael, I mean, how different were his 2019 and 2020 seasons? Yeah, you're right about looking back on this season because, I mean, I'm pretty sure we were talking about them as a top 10 tight end duo, potentially. And then they go out and combine for, what, 200 (laughs) yards, 300 yards. So, I mean, there were a lot of bad ones last season. I'm pinning that on you. I'll take responsibility for that one, but I think – Every single Jets fan probably had at least five to ten predictions that went the opposite way last season. So we're not alone on that. But um, we'll definitely have, to, Griffin, we'll have a podcast before the season with our, our bold predictions. Then we can come back and look at them. You know, I, we probably did something similar to that last year. I'll go back and try to find it. We can just laugh at all of them because I think last year we were quite surprised at the result. <laughs> Even after yeah. week one, we were like, oh, boy. It, it can be a two-parter. We'll recap all of our bad predictions, we'll, but we'll also – get rid of our humble mentality, take some credit for the things we did predict. Well, that Zach segment Wilson, will last, 
that segment will last 10 seconds because I don't think we predicted anything right last season. Um, Quinn Williams breakout. That's probably the only thing. That's, I think that's literally the only thing we got right. Maybe Makai Becton playing well as a rookie. I don't even know if we predicted that. I think most people thought he would kind of ease in. But um, but let's talk about Ryan Griffin. Um, I don't think there's a lot to talk about. He didn't do too much last season. I think he had, I believe he had 86 receiving yards and he played every single game and he was playing. He was getting snaps. Uh, yeah, he had 86 receiving yards in 15 games. Um, he was not productive. I, I think his blocking has never been his strength. It was bad in 2019. I think it was so fairly bad last year. Um, what his strength was in 2019 was, I think, really his route running. Um, he's It's not really what you would think of first with him, but he is a, he was a subtly good route runner who just knew how to find the space. He had pretty good um, quickness out of his break and was able to separate uh, and make some plays. He talked about before last season that he didn't feel the same after his um, – after the injury he suffered to end his 2019 season, which I believe was an ankle injury, he said that he didn't feel the same, and it definitely showed on the field. He did not have the same separation ability, playmaking ability with the ball in his hands, um, and the blocking always hasn't been there. Um, so without that, he was pretty much a zero. He is pretty decent on special teams. He plays a lot of different roles. He's a pretty good blocker in the return in the return game, um, but on offense. I don't, unless he is back to full health, which at 31 years old, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I don't know what he offers on offense anymore because it really seemed like the the crux of what he does well, that quickness with his route running and also some of the speed he showed after the catch in 2019 was impressive. Neither of those things were there last year. It directly correlated with an injury that he himself said was really affecting him. So I don't know what he offers, and I would wonder about his uh, roster security. Definitely. Definitely would wonder about his roster security. I mean, the other way to look at it is he's had another year away from that that injury, although he did right. play last year and had a, you know, a training camp and whatnot. Um, but maybe he will have healed up a little bit. You mentioned 86 receiving yards. He now wears number 86, so maybe the, the number change will give him some new mojo. I just can't help but think back to – you know, even that Cowboys game or the Raiders game. I mean, he had some great games in 2019 where, you know, look, was he uh, George Kittle or Rob Gronkowski? No, but he was a safe pair of, of, of veteran hands. Like you said, he was able to find the soft spot in the defense. Um, he was just a, a nice veteran tight end who brought good depth and was able to step up when Hernan wasn't there. And I think that's which all you could hope for from Ryan Griffin, because I will say, look, Hernan has struggled with injuries in the past. If he goes down, then you're looking at Croft. You, you, depending on West Coast success at fullback, maybe you want to keep him there. I, I think Griffin may end up just sticking on the roster as long as he doesn't get injured or he doesn't have a god-awful training camp because the next two guys we're going to talk about, I don't know if they're really ready to, to play any meaningful snaps. Um, and at least with Ryan Griffin, you know, okay, he's a veteran. He's, the floor is relatively high. The ceiling's low. Um, but I shouldn't even say the floor is high. The, the floor is at least – okay you can live with ryan ryan griffin on the floor um or on the field excuse me but yeah his 2020 season just did not compare to 2019 at all i guess there's the hope there is that another year away from that injury you know another off season of rehab uh, he, he can bounce back 
Now the Jets brought back Daniel Brown, and I think he's in a, a direct competition for Ryan Griffin. Is who's going to be the third tight end if you're not counting Wesco um, on this team, and potentially the last tight end on the the official 53 man roster. A bit of an Adam Gase favorite, I would say. Michael, does Dan Brown do anything well? I, I got to be honest with Daniel Brown. I, th- I think I spread a lot of positivity to Jets. I find nice things to say about most oh, players. No. He stinks. He doesn't do anything well. They're, I'm, I'm just being completely honest. I don't think there's one thing I could say he's good Special at. teams? Even that, because like, I was going to say, we know he doesn't do anything as a pass catcher. As a blocker, I think he's pretty bad. You can look at both the last two seasons. He had some big mistakes in pass protection and really does not create anything in the run game. Even on special teams, though, he misses a lot of tackles. I've seen him miss blocks in the return game um, to limit returns in the punt return and kickoff return game. Um, he's pretty bad, and I think it, it's an indication of the talent of this tight end group and the depth of it. Um, that he's even in the conversation. So I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel Brown. He's um, probably a good guy. He's one of the best tight ends in the world. That's for sure. He's in the NFL. But <laughs> compared to NFL tight ends, he's, he's rather bad, frankly. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We don't want to bury Sam Brown too much. <laughs> Kenny Yeboah, last guy we're going to get to. I'm sorry. I'm, I, 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 I hate to do that, but well, I'm just being I, completely honest. I get what you mean. I mean, it, there is a line, Michael, and you definitely seem to have crossed it with Dan Brown, so we're going to have to apologize to him publicly. But we do tend to be on the optimistic side, so it's not the worst thing in the world for free to crap all over a guy like that. But Kenny Yeboah, the last guy we're going to talk about, he was a guy that a lot of Jets fans were excited about, I guess, as an undrafted free agent. He seems like the classic undrafted free agent that people clamor for at the, at the end of day three of the draft. The Jets sign him. We feel good. Kind of reminds me of like Dimitri Flowers, if anybody remembers that, the, the fullback from Oklahoma in the 2018 draft. People were psyched yeah. the Jets signed him and did absolutely nothing. But Yeboah actually does have a legitimate chance to make this roster just because of the lack of talent at tight end. He's a guy that – Look, there's only three preseason games this year. One in particular, he's going to have a good chance to shine, and that's that Eagles one. There's also, you know, two uh, joint practices, two joint practice weeks. There's a green and white scrimmage. There's plenty of time for him to shine. But that Eagles week in particular, Kenny Yaboa is the exact type of guy who can get a roster spot based off that game alone. If he can show anything, because I'm assuming that he's going to play the majority of the reps in that game. If he could show anything, and granted, he's going to have Mike White and, and and James Morgan throwing in the ball, but if he can do anything that game, he can make a you know a, a statement and, and at least stick on this roster. What do you think his chances are of making this roster? And if he does, what does he bring? Uh, what are the biggest negatives to this game, and what are potentially the biggest positives he could bring to this this room that desperately needs some positives? Yeah, when when the two players ahead of you on the depth chart, if I talk about them the way I just did with Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown, then you definitely have a chance, even if you're an undrafted free agent. Um, but I, I think with Yaboa, we sort of overhyped him a little bit. I definitely fed a lot of hype to him because from a numbers perspective, he is really impressive. He was very productive as a pass catcher last year. Uh, and especially after the catch, which is, I think, what you really want to see from receivers in this offense. Um, but I think the question with Yaboa is, when you watch him, a lot of that production wasn't really all that impressive. There were a lot of wide open catches where he didn't really have to do that much. The route running wasn't amazing. Um, So the legitimacy of that production is kind of the question mark, but 
Um, it's wide open. The Jets really need anything they could get in terms of receiving potential at at this position group. Him and Herndon are probably the only tight ends in this group that have legitimate high receiving upside. I mean, there's a little bit with Croft, a little bit with Wesco. But if you're talking about guys who maybe if they can put everything together can be a really solid receiving tight end, it's only Herndon and Yaboa. So that definitely gives them a chance. But we'll see. You mentioned Dimitri Flowers. We've had the Greg Dorches of the world. So many of these guys every single year who we think are going to break out and why didn't they get drafted and they're going to make this team and make big plays. And it usually never happens. There's a reason guys don't get drafted that they get passed on over 250 times. And that usually comes to light at some point, but with Kenny Yaboa, this is a wide open position uh, and we'll see what happens. He does have pretty good hands. He is a good athlete. Um, so we'll see if he can make a play. You mentioned the Eagles game. That's definitely going to be, uh, the moment for him because I think the bar is really low here. So if he can really break out in that game or even the couple games before that against the Giants and Packers, then uh, the door is open for him. Yeah, honestly, he literally is just that Eagles game in my eyes. I think he can do nothing all offseason. If he can just ball out in that game, he could secure a roster spot just because this, this tight end position is so lacking. I think – most likely what happens because I'm not expecting him to, to light the world on fire. Um, I think the Jets probably cut him and try to sign him to their practice squad. I think if he has a, a reasonably okay um, training camp, I think that's probably a, a reasonable expectation for him. But yeah, he certainly has an opportunity to make this team. There's a few guys like that on this team, specifically at the tight end, the cornerback spot that it's like, hey, look, you want to make this team that Eagles game. It's, that's your opportunity. And And the Jets have plenty of positions like that where, there's a lot of question marks and they're just looking for somebody to answer something. And I think Kenny Yaboa has a good opportunity to at least try to make this roster. As far as my expectation, I don't think he ultimately makes the day one fifty three. I think he's more of a practice squad guy, but the opportunity is certainly there. Um, when we look at the unit as a whole, how does this scheme differ from Adam Gase's? I mean, how does the scheme use tight ends? You talked about how tight end and fullback heavy San Francisco was. Do you expect the Jets to, to try to do, utilize a lot of that. Obviously their, their strength is at the receiver position. So do you think they're going to really mold the whole scheme to their strengths? Or do you think they, they will try to use some more of the, the West coast concepts that the uh, floor is coming over with? Well, of course the Niners definitely were a very tight end heavy team. George Kittle became a star there. Uh, and even beyond him, no one else really flashed in the passing game and games where he was hurt prior to him but they did rely on the position a lot in terms of snaps um, and using them in the run game. Uh, But I do think if the Jets are, if this coaching staff is smart and I do think it is a a smart staff that's going to be adaptable um, and really play to its strengths of the roster that the tight end usage is going to go down, even though it was uh, a fixture in San Francisco. I think, like we said, the strength of this roster is the wide receiver depth. I think there are, legitimately six wide receivers on this team who are better options than any tight end. So it's definitely better options just in terms of receive being a receiving target, not necessarily as overall players. Um, So I think they are going to play lean into that and be a heavy 11 personnel team. Um, And I think they are going to shrink the tight end usage, even though it has typically been uh, a pretty pretty big fixture in this offense, but I th- I still think they're going to be important in the run game. They're gonna they're gonna be out there. It's not like you're never going to see them, 
even if they're not being targeted, they are going to play a prominent role in the run game. That's going to be important. Um, when you look at the Niners, even in those games where George Kittle wasn't playing, the, the tight ends still played big roles, even if they weren't as prominent in the passing game as Kittle was when he was out there, whether it was Levine Toilolo, Ross Dwelly, um, their replacements always were active in the run game and doing a really good job of keeping that part of the offense churning. Uh, because that's another thing Kittle does extremely well in addition to what he does as a receiver. Um, and even though, even though those other guys obviously can't do what he does as a pass catcher, they were able to pick up his slack in the blocking game. And I think that's going to be important in this offense. And Croft, I think, brings that to the table. Wesco at fullback does. But the rest of the guys, a little bit of question mark. Herndon, as a pass blocker, is good. He's a good pass protector. But in the run game, he's not bad. He doesn't really get beat a ton, but he doesn't create a ton of – he doesn't create a lot of movement. He's not a huge people mover in the run game. Oh. And then, obviously, we talked about Griffin and Brown. I don't think either of them are good blockers at all. So that is a little bit of a question mark outside of Croft. But I think that's why Croft is going to establish himself as the leader in this room because I I do trust him to consistently get a lot of snaps and really block well and lead that run game. Um, whereas the rest of these guys, I can't be completely sure they'll do that. So we'll see what happens. I do think that um, the tight end usage is going to be a lot different in terms of both snaps and targets than it was in San Francisco because – if you are a smart coach, you play the strengths of your roster um, and the weakness of this offense, clearly tight end, the strength, clearly wide receiver. And I think LaFleur is going to play into that. I think it's definitely a fair point. I do think it's important to remember that a, a large principle of this offense and look, he's going to mold it. Like you said, I think they are going to play a lot more 11 personnel than you saw in San Francisco. You're probably going to see more of a similar offense to the one that his brother runs in green Bay. Um, but at the same time, a large principle of this offense is to come out in those 12 personnel sets is to make the defense come out in their four, three or their three, four, their base package and expect run. And you are going to run it, you know, two, three times in a row, you're going to get the defense that can run. And then you're going to play action, throw it deep over the top. And I think having good tight ends that can hold up in the, the run blocking game and in the passing game is important. I think the jets are going to want to have tight ends in the field. I think it's, you know, with Herndon, the fact that his pass blocking is actually pretty good and his run blocking is okay just signifies to me he's oh he's solid at just holding his ground. He's not really a people mover, and I think that's fine, honestly. I think, look, if Croft and Herndon are on the field and they both can stay healthy and they both can play to a level that's fine, I guess, on the blocking side of things, I think the Jets can still utilize some of that things. But obviously, Herndon, Croft, and Wesco as your two tight ends and your fullback and, and um, you know if you're going to go 22 personnel – um, is a lot is a big downgrade for LaFleur than what he was using with um, in, in San Francisco. So I, I agree with you, but I do think it's something we're going to see. And I think it's something the Jets are going to try to utilize, um, but no position on this, on this team. I shouldn't say no position. This is a position that could really, really get, you know, obliterated with injuries. Cause all it takes is one injury to Tyler Croft. And it's like, can the Jets even run any 12 personnel? Can you be confident in that at all? You know, LaFleur is really going to have to be creative here in how he establishes the run, but leans on the receivers is, is the deepest part of his, of his unit. Um, when you look at Chris and, Herndon. And, and you mentioned, I want to bring up, you mentioned yeah. 22 personnel. Um, that is something the Niners did a lot last year, relatively. They ran it 9%, uh, 9, 9% of their offensive and snaps last year, one which isn't back, a lot. 
one running back, one fullback, and two tight ends. Yeah. So um, for the Niners, that would involve check being out there and a tight end. Um, so Juszczyk, a running back, and two tight ends. So um, they ran 9% of the time last year, which obviously isn't a lot, but that was third most in the league. So relatively, they did run a lot of that last year. So it will be interesting Definitely. to see if they keep that up this year. Well, I think the – I think the jet solution is actually going to be, they're going to cut the 22 personnel a lot because I think Wesco actually is going to come out a lot in 12 personnel. I think he's going to play both um, fullback and tight end, very similar to what he's done this year. I think they're going to lean on him as a fullback. And I think you're totally going to see him out there as a fullback, but because of what I was just saying, they don't have a lot of depth as run blockers that I think the jets, they can come out in 12 personnel and use Croft and Wesco. If they're worried about Hernan's blocking or Hernan gets hurt or whatnot. Um, But to go in 22 personnel, you're putting, three guys in the field that at this moment in time, I'm not confident in, in Wesco Hernan and Croft. I guess I'm fairly confident in Croft. So two guys out there that I'm not confident in. And then you look at the receiver room and it's like, I'd be pretty confident in all those guys stepping on the field, at least the top five of them and, and being okay. And the jet surviving, you know, um, but I'll, I think, I think they will decrease their, their percentage of, of, of 22 personnel, even with Hernan or excuse me, even with Wesco playing more of a fullback role. Um, but when you look at Herndon, I think we kind of alluded to it earlier, the the post-Gase um, revival, I, I guess. Mike Kosicki experienced this in Miami. There's plenty of players that experienced this in Miami that once Adam Gase left, they kind of, I don't want to say blew up, but at least fulfilled their potential. You had a much better season. And I think you're going to see that with plenty of players on this team, just because I think it's a better coaching staff in general, just because I think it's, it was hard to, to thrive in that environment last year with all the negativity. I think it's a much positive, it's a better atmosphere. I think they have a better quarterback. I think they have a better coaching system. Um, so I think you're going to see plenty of guys pop, but Chris Hernan's the the number one guy I'm looking at on offense. It's like, if he could just do anything, if he could just be an average to above average tight end hell, if we can just get him back to what he was in 2018 or hell, even the tight end we were, the jets were getting towards the end of, of last season, he was making more of an impact. He did have some, some impressive touchdown grabs against the Chargers and the Patriots. He was making a bit more of an impact as the season went on. If the jets can get that Chris Herndon, which isn't even a top 15 tight end in this league, this offense looks a lot different. How confident are you in, in Chris Herndon having that post-case revival? I think what you mentioned about him getting to his end of 2020 level is probably the most realistic thing to hope for because last season was it was really rough, and it's going to take a lot to bounce back from that. But he did show a lot of potential 2018. It was legitimately one of the most productive rookie tight end seasons in recent memory and did – suggests top 10 potential based on other rookies who have performed similarly to how he did as a rookie. Um, but with that being said, I, I do want to temper expectations a little bit, but what you mentioned about the end of 2020, I think that's a, a realistic place to put him. You look at his, you know, what he did near the end of last season, he wasn't too involved, but when he was, he was making pretty impressive plays and he was producing the last three games of the year. He had, uh, 14 catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. And that was only on 17 targets. So he so was well, really efficient. Well, so why was he only getting 17 targets? Do you th- do I you, think I mean, like we said earlier, I think it really just came down to a lack of confidence. But if he um, was on Donald's part, but doesn't that make him a prime candidate for that post-case revival? Because 
he started to get it together and he wasn't getting used as much. And even when he was in the field, a lot of times he was used as a pass blocker, which is why you have the data to know that Chris Herndon's actually a solid pass blocker. Obviously the Jets had, in, you know, a ton of injuries in the offensive line. And it was, it made sense to have to keep six blockers back. And that might've been Darnold himself checking Chris Herndon to, to block. Um, but doesn't the fact that, okay, he wasn't even being used that much and he started to thrive, give you more hope that he can have that Mike Kosicki type of, of rebound. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a really fair point, um, especially if Zach Wilson – we'll see what kind of quarterback he is to start out. But if he does want to play it safe, keep the turnovers down, really keep the chains moving, he could rely on the tight ends more. Um, and Herndon is pretty solid in that check down role, as long as he's catching the ball. Obviously, he's not going to be solid in that role if he continues to drop passes. But his athleticism after the catch makes him intriguing as a check down option. And he does do a pretty nice job of blocking and releasing as a pass protector and getting into the flat, improvising. That was something that was a huge part of his game in 2018, those broken plays, finding space um, when when Darnold was scrambling, was something he did really well. And I think we saw flashes of it last year, but a lot of those instances, he dropped the ball. There was a play against the Niners in week two where he did a fantastic job of improvising, getting himself open. Um opened himself up in the end zone, Darnold put it on him and he dropped it for a potential touchdown. There was one against the Colts the next week that should have been a touchdown. He's wide open, but that time Darnold just didn't throw the ball to him. He just scrambled out of bounds. Oh yeah. So wide open for a touchdown. So it kind of, it kind of went both ways. Um, he wasn't catching the ball when it came to him. Sometimes he was open and the ball wasn't coming his way. So, but I think like you said, that, that is a good point that if we are going to blame Darnold a little bit for Herndon not getting targeted, um, then hopefully Zach Wilson does deliver on Chris Herndon a little bit more. So it it's going to be very interesting to see what he does because I think there is a lot of potential here when you look at what he did in 2018, his athleticism, his ac- acrobatic catchability, um, and also the fact that you can rely on him as a pass blocker so that allows him to get on the field and have opportunities to build confidence um, and be able to get himself involved because he's not a liability as a pass blocker or really a run blocker either. He's not a liability. So it's not like, okay, he's not catching the ball. We got to bench him. He can't do anything. That's going to shatter a guy's confidence. And you can't do anything if you're on the bench. You can't build that confidence back up because he can stay on the field with his pass blocking particularly and also not being terrible as a run blocker. It gives him that chance to stay on the field and um, hopefully build that confidence and camaraderie with Wilson. So I think that's a good point you make. Um, we'll see if Wilson can deliver on him a little bit more than Darnold did. If you were to wipe last season out of your memory and you were to put yourself in the mindset you had last summer going into 2020, what do you think the best version of Chris Herndon looks like, or at least it can look like for this season? I don't, you know, I know we're trying to temper expectations, but I just, the player that you thought the Jets had in Chris Herndon based off that 2018 season what does he look like? Just give Jets fans a, an image, a glimmer of hope that I'd say he has that Mike Kosicki rebound. What's the ceiling of a guy like Chris Hearn? And what could the Jets potentially have on their hands if for some reason he was able to hit post Adam Gase? I, I think I saw him after 2018 as possibly a borderline top 10 tight end. And that sounds like high praise, but when you look at tight ends in the league right now, it's not that deep of a position. So to say a guy is the 10th best tight end, doesn't mean he's Gronk or anything close to that. The 10th leading tight end last season 
in terms of receiving yards was actually it was Gronk with only 620 <laughs> yards, 623 yards. I heard you looking season. that up. I heard the keys. Yeah, the keys were moving, but it actually was Gronk, but we're talking about 31-year-old post-retirement Gronk. But that, with only 600, uh, 623 yards, that was 39 yards a game. And at a full um, season played. Uh, he actually did play all 16 he games. He played 16. Jeez, wow. Look at my memory. Um, but but anyway, that's the point. It's, saying he's a top 10 tight end doesn't mean he's great. Top 10 tight ends right now are only putting up 40 yards a game. Dalton Schultz was 11th, 38 yards a game. Uh, so it, it's not high praise to say he can be a top 10 tight end. But if he can do that, it would be – amazing for this team and the way that the Niners ran their offense. And I think he can do that. When you look at the production he had, once he kind of got acclimated, acclimated in 2018 over the last 12 weeks of the season, uh, he was producing in that, at that level and he was putting up um, borderline top 10 numbers. Um, I don't think he is amazing enough as a route runner or, you know, or being an overall dominant athlete to really hog a lot of targets like the great tight ends in the league can. Um, whether you look at George Kittle and how amazing of a playmaker he is with the ball, or Travis Kelsey, how amazing of a route runner he is. I don't think he has anything like that to be an elite tight end, but he's a good athlete. He is capable of making acrobatic catches. He is a solid route runner, I think, when everything's clicking for him. Um so I think he can be, and also his improv, improvisational ability is really good. That's a big part of what he brings to the table on broken plays. Um, so I think he can be a top 10 tight end in the sense that he can give you 40 yards a game, maybe five touchdowns throughout the season. Uh, he still managed uh, to put up a couple of them last year or three of them last year, despite how much he struggled. So I think he can be like a 600 yard, five touchdown guy as a best case scenario, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not going to bet on it. But yes, for the best case scenario, I think he can be that. Well, not to rub your nose in it, but you picked him in fantasy, right? The last two years. The last correct? two years, I did. I will so, not be doing it this year. I think we both because I was. I think the reason I thought Gronk was injured because I drafted Gronk, and there was about like a six week stretch there where he did absolutely nothing, and I cut him. And then towards the end of the season, he started to be, you know, Gronk of old a little bit. Um, so both of us, I guess, don't take any tight end of fantasy advice, at least. Um, from us but when you talk about the the breakout and it, for Chris Hernan it gets more of the angle that maybe Adam Gase and Sam Darnold were holding him back and Michael Floor and um and, and Zach Wilson can unleash him with Tyler Croft clearly that's not gonna be the case because um be it Brian Dable and Josh Allen you couldn't have really been in much of a better situation from that perspective but in the sense that, like Ryan Griffin shining in 2019, if Tyler Croft is the guy that's going to lead the Jets in snaps just because of his proficiency at run blocking, he's going to get some opportunities in the passing game. It's a way less crowded tight end room than it was in Buffalo. And he does have Zach Wilson and Michael Floor. We'll see how they perform, but I guess the optimism is there. Do you think Tyler Croft, I mean, everybody's talking about, I shouldn't even say everybody, we were just talking about Chris Herndon as a potential breakout in this roster. Uh, you know, it's an extremely hopeful way to look at it. But do you think Tyler Croft might be the better bet as, as a guy who could really break out as a tight end in this room just because it's it's a very empty room? And also this offense in general does lend itself to, to good tight end seasons. I think there's a little bit of potential for him. In 2017 with the Bengals, he had seven touchdowns. 404 yards on 42 catches. Um, I think it should be known with Croft, he's not a bad receiver. There are some blocking tight ends in the league who just can't do anything as pass catchers. They're 
essentially just small offensive linemen. I don't Croft definitely isn't that. He had some really impressive touchdowns last year. Like I mentioned, he had a seven touchdown season in 2017. Um, so he can do some stuff as a receiver. He's not really a playmaker with the ball, but he's capable of making some. He's a pretty solid catch radius. Uh, he makes the most of his size. Um, I, I think that's his strength, not necessarily anything in terms of athleticism, playmaking, separation, but uh, he can be a red zone threat. He can make some nice acro- uh, jump ball catches. Um, so he does bring some stuff to the table as a receiver. We just He hasn't really gotten enough targets over the past three seasons to make that much noise as a receiver. Only 36 targets over the last three years, and he's missed a lot of games too. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect too much from him, but we didn't expect much from Ryan Griffin in 2019 either. He didn't do too much the season prior to that, and then he came in and had a five-touchdown season after scoring none the previous year. So um, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's something that should be talked about more, that Croft can do that. But I think he's more so, if he is going to have that kind of season, I think it's going to come from his touchdown production more so than the catches and yards. I don't think he's a guy that gets you down the field that much in terms of his pass catching, but he is a guy who can be involved in the red zone, I think. So um, I think we should keep an eye on him as a receiver. And now this might be cheating a little bit because it's a tight end preview, but something about you saying small offensive lineman just brought this topic back into our minds. And I think we may have talked about this a month ago, but with the signing of Morgan Moses, assuming he plays right tackle and the Jets play Greg Van Roden or whoever at right guard, the Jets have a very competent swing tackle in George Fant. Some would even say among the better swing tackles you can have just given his athleticism. Um, he's a guy who the G- Seattle used as a tight end at times, but primarily he's a swing tackle, a guy you can bring in. And because he's uh, on the upper echelon of, of swing tackles, going back to the point I made earlier about having when you're a great team, you have some of these smaller needs that don't get talked about on bad teams. But having a great swing tackle, we talk about uh, ben Hartsock on those old Jets teams. Rob Turner is another guy who was a, a great six offensive lineman for the Jets. And then once he went away, you notice a, a, a downfall a bit in that unit. As soon as somebody went down, they weren't as confident. The Jets have depth at that offensive line position. And because the Jets don't have depth or much security at tight end, when the Jets do go to those 12 personnel looks, those 22 personnel looks, do you think that the chances are high that maybe George Fant subs in as, as one of those quote unquote tight ends, although I don't expect him to see, to, to see him run many routes, if any at all. But do you think that having George Fan as a swing tackle, assuming both Becton and Moses are healthy and they're your starting tackles, that might alleviate some of the, the stress, I guess, on, on Michael Ford to get these tight ends involved? That is a really good point. I think some of those tight end snaps could go to him. Um, it's kind of talking about like with the tight end and wide receiver usage, it would be new for Michael Floor, based on his 49ers background, to use George Fant in that role. It's not something the Niners did at all with any of their offensive linemen. They did it on a couple of snaps over his four years there, but they were not one of the teams that regularly used a player in that role like George Fant did with the Seahawks over the last couple of years of his career there. Um, Fant was playing a lot with the Seahawks. It wasn't like they did it every now and then. Um, a lot, a lot of the time he's playing like half the game rotating in as a six offensive lineman in that tight end alignment. Um, I definitely don't expect that extent of his, of usage 
in this offense in that role for him. But considering the weakness at this tight end position, considering how heavy they can lean on the wide receivers in the passing game and how much they really need some blocking help with tight end, I would think about the possibility uh, that we could see him a few times um, per game in that role. So that is a good point. I think we could see some of George Fant lining up at essentially, I guess we can call it tight end. He's not really a tight end because he's not a receiving threat, but that's where he's lining up outside of the tackle. Um, so I think he could take some of those tight end snaps. Yeah. And you talk about Chris Herndon not being a mover and uh, as, as a, as a run blocker, certainly George Fant, when you look at him as a tight end, it would, would qualify as a mover. Um, I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, you know, that's one of the things though, if Beckton or Moses goes down, that possibility goes away. So I think it is, you know, just the, the signing of Moses was just huge for the Jets because it gave him depth in the offensive line and it helped him out at this tight end position. Um, so big fan of that signing, but bringing it back to the tight ends, we'll keep it with two because I think they're going to be the easiest to, to discuss here. But I want your stat prediction for Chris Herndon and Tyler Croft. And the three stats are going to be starts, catches, and touchdowns. Ooh, this is tough. So starts, I'm going to go with – starts really fluctuate for tight ends because it's just based on the first play of the game. So it can vary from week. Okay, to week. you you can go for you can um, qualify starts as who gets the majority of the snaps that week. I guess I don't know. That probably makes more sense. I mean, you're starting tight end. I guess sometimes first and ten. You don't. Well, they, I don't know. Who maybe do? It's harder to, to say how many snaps because that's going to get high. But I would just say when you say starts, I guess don't worry so much about who's playing the first game. If it's each game, who's playing more snaps total. I think Croft is going to be – I'm not going to say they split it. I think ultimately Croft plays more snaps, but I think there's going to be a pretty Very even nice. balance. It's really going to depend on the opponent each week. Well, there's 17 the position. They can't split. Uh, eight, eight and nine. Give Croft the advantage. Okay. Let's go 10-7 in favor of Croft. Oh, wow. I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards Croft here. Um, but in terms of stats, all right, so for Chris Herndon, I guess – I think his rookie year production is mm, – that's a little bit too much. Uh, for All right, so for Chris Herndon, I think he'll get a similar amount of targets as last year. Last year he had 45 targets in 16 games. I think he'll be around there. I'll give him 50 targets. But I think he'll be more efficient than he was last year. I'll give him 35 catches, 400 yards, five uh, – not five, four touchdowns. Um, and for Tyler Croft, I'm, I'm not going to be too wild with Tyler Croft. I could definitely see him doing more than what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to keep it fairly realistic. Um, I'll go with 15 catches, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Interesting. How many, yards, how many yards did you give uh, Herndon? Uh, 400. I said 35 catches, 400 yards. I think the Jets going to get – 600 is, is 600 yards. I mean, you're, you're the numbers guy here. Is 600 yards a, a reasonable amount for this group? I mean, where would that play? I mean, I know you have to look that up, but where would that place him among tight end leaders across the NFL? And I'm going to stall as you furiously look that up. I guess I'll give <laughs> my answer. Um, well, the first thing, I, the only thing I looked at, honestly, I'm, don't have anything prepared here. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I looked up Ryan Griffin's 2019 season because I think that's a fair assessment for originally I was thinking Tyler Croft because I actually kind of do feel 
strongly based off what you said that he may end up being that number one tight end just because the Jets have such a strength at receiver that the tight end they're going to have to have out there has to be a really good run blocker. All right, um, I, I got the number. So just okay, for some reference, uh, 2019 season, 600 yards. If that was all they got from both um, Croft and Herndon, they got 600 yards from the whole tight end unit. 2019, just because I have the numbers from this season, I did an article on it. It would have been 24th in the league. So that's I think about fair. That's, that's that's pretty fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Hmm. I think. Oh, you, I I've gone back and forth because I'm pretty sure, like on a podcast a month ago, I picked Chris Herndon as my breakout, and then you've talked. I just me. hesitate. I don't want to give them too much because I feel really good about the wide receivers. Yeah. So I want, like, I I, I just said they're going to get seven touchdowns, seven touchdowns between these two guys, which already seems like stealing too a high. lot from. Um, yeah, the receivers, but I also don't want to go too low for them because I do like these guys. All right, well, um, so it, it's kind of tough to predict this position. I'll start with with starts. I agree with you. I think Croft gets more starts than Herndon overall. Um, whether that's due to injury or just as his role, like we we were just talking about, I do have that that weird feeling that Tyler Croft has be, kind of become. The, the main tight end for this team and Chris Herndon might fall off a little bit. Uh, hey, I'm still on the Chris Herndon train. I still think he's underrated. I still think there's there's a big chance, but um, your argument definitely swayed me. So what did you say? You said uh, nine and eight. I'll, I'll try to beat you there. I'll I went, go, I went up to 10, 10 and seven. seven. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go uh, 12 and five. Jeez, I did the math there. It's so weird with the 17 games. Okay. I've got 12 games and five, five for Hernan or whatever. Something like that. I, I, the, the, these are arbitrary numbers. The point is, I think Tyler Croft is, is going to start the majority of the games over Chris Hearn. And as far as touchdowns go, though, I think Hernan might beat him. I'm going to give Hernan three touchdowns and Tyler Croft two touchdowns. Okay. But as far as catches... I'm going to change mine. I'm going to copy you. I think that's more realistic. Three and two instead of four and three. Three and two, I think, is fair. But and I'll give Hearn the advantage because I think maybe they'll try to use him more in the red zone. I, I, hey, definitely displayed some some great red zone acrobatic catches towards the end of the last season as far as catches go i'll give herndon i don't know this is a tough one i'm thinking somewhere in the third i'm 39 as a rookie uh 31 last year 16 games both seasons i kind of think that yeah i'll give him 37 that was really random 37 for herndon that seems kind of weird because I gave Croft all the starts. <laughs> um, I don't know. Okay, fine. 35 for Croft, 25 for Herndon. Who, who am I kidding? This doesn't matter. But uh, the point being, I think that Croft will beat him on on snaps. I think he might even beat him on catches total. Um, but I think Herndon might edge him out on touchdowns very slightly. Um, all arbitrary. But I, I think that the point of the, the that stat segment right there is I think both of us believe that Tyler Croft – either at the start of the season or by the midpoint takes over for Chris Herndon as, as the starting tight end. But I hope that's not the case. I hope Herndon really, really shines here, but I like, I think one, I'll put it this way. I think one of them will have a quote unquote breakout year, not in the sense that they're going to light the world on fire, but I think one of them is going to prove to be a very, a solid tight end, you know, worthy of a, a similar year to Ryan Griffin in the sense that, okay, this guy definitely belongs in the tight end room next year. We can use him as tight end two, hell, maybe even tight end one. And I some for some reason get the the inkling that Tyler Croft might be more that guy, and that Chris Herndon might, you know, be 
a little bit of a letdown again, but we'll see. Last question for you, Michael. Who do you think they end up keeping on this roster? End of the day, roster cuts come week one against Carolina Panthers. Who are the the tight ends on this roster? And we'll, we'll count Jerome Wesco as a tight end. I think, man, it is really tough because I feel like you can – this is a position where you could – Is it? Go, I'm saying in the sense that I think you could go a little bit lighter at this position and go with only three guys to uh, be able to keep a better player at a different position. Because, you know, if you're keeping – the three locks are Wesco. I think Wesco is a lock Definitely. for the fullback role. And then obviously Herndon and Croft. Um, so there are a lot of players at other positions I'd rather keep than Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown, um, whether it's at defensive tackle hey, with Nathan Or Kenny Boa. Or Kenny Yaboa, who I also didn't mention. Um, but then uh, you have the question of, is he actually going to prove worthy of it? Because his OTA period wasn't too impressive. He did apparently have some big drops. Um, he made some plays. There were some reports of that as well. But you never want to hear the drops in training camp or in, in practices. Um, so I think this is a spot where you could kind of go a little bit lighter because you can control that usage and you don't have to rely on it that much. And then you could have more talent elsewhere. Um, so it's, do you, do you see four tight ends or yes. do you Here's think let go to three? Here's why. Wesco is technically a fullback. And in San Francisco, use check was strictly a fullback, but I think Wesco is more of a fullback tight end hybrid. So I think you're already knocking out a position with Wesco because you're not going to keep a pure fullback. So in, in some ways, if you look at Wesco as a fullback, then you only have two tight ends. So I think they go Hearn and Croft and Griffin and Griffin and Wesco as the fullback. Um, Cause that gives you, it gives you three guys. The other thing you have to remember, Michael is tight ends are huge for special teams. And I right. don't think that, I mean, I think Wesco will probably be out there. I, I just, I, I don't see the jets leaving them that thin. I think they go three tight ends and a fullback, which in turns just means four tight ends. If you're going to count Wesco as one, um, but Hey, I think I could definitely see a world where Dan Brown beats out Ryan Griffin especially if they're more confident in his ability as a special teamer. I think that's what that role is going to come down to is depth, but primarily special teams. But I think that Griffin just honestly, 2019, he showed something. I haven't seen anything from Dan Brown. So I'll go with Ryan Griffin there. So I'll go Hearn and Croft, Griffin and Wesco. Yeah. Looking at um, last year's opening 53 man rosters for the Jets and the Niners are pretty much aligned with the way they ran their offenses. The Jets were very heavy 11 personnel team, one of the highest in the league. So they only kept three tight ends, Herndon, Griffin, and Wesco to open the season. Um, and then the Niners, they had check in addition to four tight ends. So they had a fullback yeah. plus four tight ends. Jets technically, if you count Wesco as a fullback, had one fullback plus two tight ends. Um, so I think you're right. They'll probably end up keeping four of them. Uh, and I, I do think it will be either Griffin or Brown. I don't actually like either of those guys, but actually, they do both. They're both big special teams players. Go ahead with your point. You want a bold prediction? Super Let's bold prediction. It. Let's hear it. It's going to be Herndon, Croft, Wesco, and somebody not currently on the roster. I think okay. so, so I think somebody gets cut around at, you know, during the preseason cut down or whatever, maybe Griffin initially makes or whatever, but I think, I think somebody will shake free that the Jets like more than Ryan Griffin, Dan Brown, or, or Kenny Aboa that they'll sign. I thought, you're, I thought you were going to say Zach Ertz. No, not Zach Ertz. I don't think they make that move. But I think somebody's going to shake free that it's like, okay, this guy's a solid depth option. Hey, if Ryan Griffin shows anything in preseason, I think he's pretty much exactly what you'd want as that third tight end, that third, fourth tight end. But 
just based off last year, I think I definitely think there's a chance that somebody could shake free. It's like, Hey, you know what? We like this guy. He contributes a lot more in special teams. I think special teams is the big thing. And I think that's what Griffin kind of lacks in, in, in many ways. Cause he's not a good blocker. Um, his receiving to me is honestly fine. And his, obviously he's a veteran and he's had success, but am I really trusting Ryan Griffin on a kickoff? No. So it's like, I feel like somebody may shake free that they'll add. Um, so that's going to be my official prediction right now. Hearn and Croft, Wesco and somebody not on the roster. I think that's going to do it for us. Um, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny and myself at Ben W. Blessington. Um, go to JetsXFactor.com for the best Jets content out there. Um, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe and like on YouTube. Michael, is there anything else? Anything else I'm missing? I don't think so. I hope right. Chris Herndon breaks out. Um, to Daniel Brown, you're invited on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dan Brown, if you ever um, want to challenge uh, Michael Nanny to a celebrity boxing event, now that you're <laughs> you're you're almost at fifteen thousand followers, so you would qualify. You probably have more followers than than Dan Brown, so you might be. I think celebrity boxing match. I mean, you're gonna have to find a catch weight there, but I think we can get that done. I can be your promoter, Michael. Don't worry. Um, but thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday with a regular CYJ podcast. Um, everybody have a great week. Go Jets.